The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode six of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour sci-fi episodes of X-1. We'll begin after this short break. X-1 was a half-hour science fiction radio series broadcast from 1955 until 1958 over NBC. A revival of NBC's Dimension X, X-1 is widely considered among the finest science fiction dramas ever produced for radio. The first 15 episodes were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field. Stories on X-1 were by Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, William Tenn, Robert Heinlein, H.L. Gold, Robert Block, and many others. New York's finest radio actors are heard in supporting casts, including Bob Hastings, Jan Minor, Louis Van Ruten, Terry Keane, and Les Damon. It's time now for the first of two X-1 radio episodes. In this first story, a space traveler returns to Earth at long last, but it's not the same place he left. Here's Sea Legs, starring William Redfield on X-1. Now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X-1. Tonight, the Frank Quatroki story, Sea Legs. A 
I stood in line at the Grav 1 desk with the old notch service record and tapes in my hand and waited for the board processing clerk to speak. The clerk seemed utterly indifferent to the excitement of the men in the line. I wondered how long he'd been out here on this godforsaken Zone 5 planet. Next. Name? Robert Craig. Occupation? Flight officer. Destination? Earth. Earth? Anything wrong with that? Well, I guess not. How long since you've been on Earth, Mr. Craig? Well, I, uh, I've never been there. My parents left during the second colonization of Cassiopeia. I was born there. Have you ever been in a gravity system? Well, just briefly. Under drugs, of course. You'll have to go through the gravity conditioning course. Yes, yeah, so I was told. Proceed to the airlock chamber on your right and follow the robot's orders. Good luck. You may need it. Next. I went into the chamber and stripped off my clothing while the robot droned its orders. Remove all metal objects from your person. Place them in the plastic tube at your left. Now stand underneath the decontamination tube. Depress the button with your right foot. This is all. Proceed through the green door to the psychometric section. Please respond quickly to orders, and so do not impede the progress of others. Next, please. The door to the psychometric section led into a pleasant but cold-looking room with a single metal desk. A man with a balding high forehead sat behind the desk. Mr. Craig, have a seat. I'm Captain Wyandotte, the psychological officer. Nice to meet you. Yes, well, let's see your records. Hmm. You list your destination as terror. You, uh, you're certain you wish to go to Earth? Of course I'm certain. You're somewhat aggressive, Mr. Craig. Look, I've been standing in line taking orders from clerks and robots for six hours. Every time somebody sees that I'm headed for Earth, I get the fish eye. Are they jealous or what? I hardly think so. You've been a spaceman for 16 years, Mr. Craig. You've been zooming around in the countergraph systems and the outer galaxies without any restraints or self-discipline. Have you ever spent six weeks strapped into a grav seat on a space rocket, Captain? There's a good deal of self-discipline involved in that. I think you'll find things on Terra require a different kind of self-discipline, Mr. Craig. Well, I'm pretty much aware of what it's like. Are you? I suppose you've heard all the popularizations in the tapezines. Well, Mr. Craig, let me give you a word of caution. It's going to be vastly different. I'm prepared for that, Captain. Can we get going? Naturally. You will undergo a 20-day conditioning course. 20 days? Mr. Craig, you've been in space 16 years. Your body is conditioned to a normal state of free fall, or at best to acceleration. The return to gravity would kill you if you weren't prepared for it. All right, what do I do? Report to Centrifugal Department. Here are your papers. Oh, and Mr. Craig. Yes? Centrifugal is a rather trying ordeal. If during the course of treatment you should change your mind about returning to Earth, you're free to do so. Thanks. I won't. I'd heard about centrifugal, but you can never really know about these things until you experience them. Four times a day, we were whirled around until it seemed as if our insides were too big for our bodies. On the twelfth day, it got to be too much for me.
I was in the base hospital for five days. My roommate was an old space bum they'd brought in to die with a case of ruptured veins. His name was Charlie Brockman. How you feel, son? I'm pretty good, Charlie. You get discharged tomorrow, I hear. You gonna try it again? I guess so. Why? Hmm? Only way I'll ever get to Earth. You really want to go? That's right. You talked to anybody been there last ten years or so? No, you don't get to talk to many people from Earth in the galaxies. Were you ever there? Me? Now, what would an old space bum like me be doing on Terra? Well, I just thought maybe... I done most of my time in Zone 5. Out there, you get to thinking anybody who stays less than 80 light years from Earth is a landlubber. Yeah, I used to think the same. Then I took the exam for a job back on Earth, and I passed it. I used to think I'd like to go back. But space was exciting, you know. New and raw. It tugged at your guts, and it sent the blood rushing through your veins. But it was free. No bureaucrat ever lasted six months and grabbed five. Uh, I had enough hitting atmospheres all over the universe, old man. Uh, maybe you're right. Uh, lean over here, will you? Sure. Unbutton my pajama top, will you? Okay. There's a chain around my neck. Got a little message capsule on it. Oh, yeah, I got it. Do me a favor, huh? Take it with you when you go back to Terra. Uh, don't open it till you're on the ship. Okay, Charlie. And son. Yes? I lied to you. I have been back to Terra. I faked some papers and made a landing there six months ago. What are you doing back here? I had to leave in a hurry. Why? You'll find out, son. Good luck. Charlie died the next day. A few hours later, I was visited by Captain Wyandotte, the psych officer. How are you feeling, Craig? Okay. You still want to go back to Earth? Yes. You're completely sure you want to live out your life there to give up space service for it? Look, we've gone through this, Captain. Now, you tell me that spacemen don't settle down on Terra, yet you won't or you can't tell me why. All right, what's the pitch? Does the space service need men so badly that they have to make it impossible for us to go back? That, Mr. Craig, you will have to discover for yourself. You have my authorization to complete your conditioning and return to Earth as a private citizen. I wish you luck. You'll need all you can get. Somehow I managed to survive the torments for 18 days. I was ready to return to Earth. A month later, I descended from a huge intergalactic jet at Los Angeles Spaceport. I was dead tired from the trip. I checked in at the nearest inexpensive hotel. Uh, this is your room, sir. Uh, just uh, put the bags down, will you? I'll unpack myself. Uh, yes, sir. Just back from outer space, sir? Yeah, that's right. How could you tell? <laughs> sea legs. Sea legs? Well, the way you walk. You can tell when somebody's been in the low grav systems. Oh, uh, well, here. Oh, thanks, Mr. Craig. Uh, for another five units, I'll tell you where it is. Where what is? You know, the mic. Mic? Okay, make it three units. I won't hold you up. You mean a microphone? Yeah, that's right. They wanted to put screens in, but the boss convinced him there ain't any Freedomites ever stay here. Freedomites? Not so loud. You want to get controlled? No. No. Here's the money. Where is it? It's in the bed illuminator. You can short it with a razor blade. Thanks. You uh, want any sensation tapes? 
What are they? Well, you know, mental image. That... Oh, boy, you've been away from Terra a long time. Wait a minute, before you go, son. Yeah? Where's the uh, minerals building? I have to report there for a job interview. Oh, that's in the government cluster. Fifth level at X and second. Thanks. I'll want breakfast about 8 o'clock. Well, I'll need your ISS units. My what? Your ration units. I don't have any ration units. Do you have your ident card? <laughs> Look, I just got here an hour ago. Uh, well, you better go see the civil control board tomorrow. If you want to eat, that is. All right, where do I find the control board? Government cluster. But don't worry. If you don't find them, they'll find you. <laughs> I went to sleep that night with the uneasy feeling that somebody was watching me. It had been a weird day. I hadn't exactly liked it. Well, I told myself it figured that there'd be more formalities and rigmarole on Earth than there were out in the systems, especially at first. Still, I couldn't get the idea of the concealed microphone out of my mind. You may relax, Mr. Craig. You are Mr. Craig. Uh, yes, uh, <clears throat> Robert Craig. You aren't nervous, are you? No, no, no. This is uh, my first time before the control board, and... Well, it's my first time. Flight officer, huh? Somewhat unusual for a vigorous young man like yourself abandoning space service, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? Leaving something behind, Mr. Craig? No. You don't like this sort of affair, do you, Mr. Craig? Well, I'm afraid I don't quite see its necessity... I serve the intergalactic service well. My records prove it. That's enough impertinence, Mr. Craig. Answer the questions. You are a Terran? Yes. Where are your loyalties? I don't understand. Your first loyalties are to intergalactic, is that right? Is there a distinction? Do you wish to be held in contempt of this board? Of course not. And you will confine your responses to simple yes answers. Now, Mr. Craig, we shall begin again. Please try to show restraint of emotion. You are here to petition for an identity card provisional code 2 type. You maintain that you've never been on Terra before. Indeed, you state that you've never had a political affiliation. Yes. What are your reactions to the latest acts of the Liberal Party? I have none. You do not condemn the Liberal Party? Well, I... Then you must favor it. I don't know anything about it. Now then, Mr. Craig. The import service report shows that you passed your test aboard your ship. You were enabled to accomplish this through night study. Yes. Yet you maintain in your application that you had considered the space service a career. I changed my mind. Oh, you changed your mind. I see. I see, too, that you have petitioned the board for a private means of conveyance. Why do you wish to own your own transportation vehicle? To make it easier to get around, I report to my job and... What job? I pass the exam for the import service. I report today. Where are you living, Mr. Craig? At the Star Hotel. Very well. You'll wait outside in the waiting room until you're called again. I waited about two hours in the porcelainized waiting room of the civil control board. Then I was called over to the clerk's desk at a small window. He stamped some cards for me. Craig, 
Here. Here's your stuff. Class one provisional ident card. Sign it and fingerprint it. Don't lose it. If you do, you'll be picked up by the control agents. I, uh, I petitioned for a class two card. You get a class one. This entitles you to maintain an apartment in the lower level of the Beverly Project. Here's your clothing ration. You'll have to turn in that leather flight jacket. What? Now, wait a minute. I had this made on Chuan. Listen, I can remove the insignia. That is not the point. Your clothing ration is defined by law. There are no exceptions. This is your food ration. Now, what's all this, uh... Medical stuff on the card. You are rationed fairly in accordance with your particular metabolism. Oh, you're kidding. I do not kid, Mr. Craig. What about a car? I asked to be allowed to buy a car. I see. Your petition to be permitted to purchase a private means of transportation is hereby denied. I walked out of the control board feeling like a man who has just come out of free fall into a hypergravity system. Instead of reporting to the import service for my initial job interview, I walked around the city. I don't know how long I walked, maybe an hour, maybe two. After a while, I came to the outskirts of old Los Angeles. There was a big fence around it and the usual signs. Radioactivity. Beware. It was just a pile of rubble and twisted girders. I looked at it for a while and then turned around and headed for the intergalactic freight office. So you figure you made a mistake. Yeah, that's right. You you don't hear much about Terra out there. And you want me to sign you back into intergalactic? Yes. You got any character references? No, no, not here on Earth, but I can post a good-sized bond if they'll release my ISS units. What's your rating? I can handle anything up to 15 G's acceleration on my old license. You got a Turan contract with import service, you said? I haven't started work yet. Look, kid. Uh, Mr. Craig, is it? How long you been on Earth? Two days. So you're a spaceman. Flight officer, ex-flight officer. You know how to navigate through four star zones and the asteroid belt thrown in. You got a license for 15 G's. Could get five more with a check flight. You got enough brains to pass the import senior rooter's exam. But you ain't got enough sense to come in out of the rain. We get guys like you every day. You're hot, you're big, you're raring to go. But you ain't gone nowhere. I'm listening. I don't know how you got here, Craig. Maybe you did quit honorable, or maybe you went and burned up a colony someplace. That would be in my records. The point is, it don't make any difference. Nobody leaves Terra without a permit. Nobody gets a permit to go back to space once he hits this old apple. Why not? Are you afraid somebody will tell what it's like? Oh, son, you got things to learn. One is you don't go shooting off your mouth. Another is Terra's changed a lot since the radioactive wars. We're going places, doing things. Big places, big things. You've got to fit into that, kid. Move with it. Stick around. you still got your sea legs. You're going to like it here. You can make a quick dollar and spend it quick, too. But you'd better smarten up, or you'll finish scrubbing radioactive dust off girders. That's the story, huh? The whole story? That's it. Everything runs by a system. And, son, you can't buck the system. Yeah. I don't suppose there's any place around here a guy could get a quick drink. Oh, yeah, out at the end of Y Street. They got a little place you can buy in Acadian Taz. 
Pluto's, they call it. Thanks. Yeah, get it out of your system and then settle down. That's my advice. Thanks. So long. Get me the control agent. He just left here. He's on his way to the Pluto Cafe. Bring me n- another drink for the young lady. Ah. Now then, where were we? Well, I don't know. In fact, I still don't know why you're buying me free drinks. <laughs> I told you, I want somebody to talk to. You a purist? Or maybe you don't like the brand of sensation tapes they're peddling these days. You know, you don't have a bad face, really, underneath the makeup. I mean, it's a little crooked, but it ain't bad, really. Thanks. Does me pretty good. Well, what's your name? Gloria. Oh, sure. Sure. Sure, I remember. Gloria! Maybe you had enough to drink. No, no. No, not yet. You know, I look around, I see all these people with their faces all froze up like plastic. And I feel like I got to know somebody or I go out of my mind. So what happens? Everybody is afraid. I mean, what happened? Whatever happened to freedom? Uh, what's the matter? Did I say something? What's, the, what's everybody so quiet about all of a sudden? Okay. Come with me. Well, who are you? Control board agent. Control Hey. I wasn't with him. Honest, he just picked me up and bought me a drink and started shooting off his mouth. I wasn't with him. Let's go, Mac. Wait a minute, what for? You'll find that out. Come on. On your feet. Oh. Hey, okay, Carl, keep your hands off. I'll go with you. Everybody else, just mind your own business. You, girlie. Yeah? Let's see your identity card. Here. You live at this address? Yeah. Alone? With my... My sister. Maybe some night you could go to a movie or something. We could spend some time getting acquainted. Yeah. Yeah, sometime. God, I'll call you. Hey, I, I need my dent card back. I can't get rations without it. I'll keep it. Bring it back myself. Why well, to give the girl her card? No! <laughs> oh! Or maybe you mind your own business. Let's go. You walk just a little in front of me. He was a big man. Maybe 250 pounds, and he shuffled when he walked. He'd hit me right across the right shoulder with a sort of rubber truncheon. Now it began to ache. We're walking along a sort of back street... Everywhere in the universe there were such streets. Streets where you could find freedom in anonymity. A compromise between lawlessness and law. They are permitted by the authorities because it is necessary to have a place for those who are not permitted elsewhere. Okay, step into the doorway. Hurry up, you fool. We're being followed. Well, we're followed by who? Don't ask questions. Who's you told? Don't I have any rights? You've got the right to get hit over the head unless you do what you're told. Now, quit. Hey, come in. In here. 
Hurry. Hey, who, who, who are they shooting at, you or me? Both of us, down these steps. Stop! Stop or we'll fire! Through the door. Now, duck behind that pillar. Don't make a sound. You see them? Not a trace. Uh, come on, they probably slipped out. Walk through the tunnel behind you. One false move and you're finished. Go on. From the direction of the tunnel, I guessed it was part of an old sewage system that led toward the ruined city. I don't know how long we walked, maybe an hour. Finally, we came to a small wooden door. Stop here. Okay, let's have it. What? What? Half a watch? The tube. I don't know what you mean. Our detectives picked it up on you the minute you got off the plane. You're carrying a radioactive message tube with a periodic emission signal. I'll need to have it before we can go any further. You mean the, uh, the tube that old Charlie gave me? Old Charlie? Yes, Charlie Brockman. The old spaceman who was in the hospital with me. Where is it? I don't know. I think it's in my pocket. I never even bothered to open it. Do it now. Well, let me see. Oh, yeah, here it is. Open it. It's empty. That's right. The message is in the tube itself. We identify our people by the radioactive pattern. Our people? You'll see. Come in. Make it fast. This the one? This is the one. Has he been drugged? He's had P.O.N. A massive dose at the Pluto. Good. Mr. Craig, my name's Cocteau. This is Mr. Brannigan. You're probably quite bewildered about all this. Let me clarify the situation. You're now in the headquarters of the Freedomites, underneath the radioactive part of old Los Angeles. Mr. Brannigan is not a control agent. He's one of our men. We've been watching you ever since we detected the message tube as your ship was approaching Earth. Now, wait a minute. You you guys are Freedomites? That's right. You're pretty illegal, aren't you? Let's say our lives aren't worth a snap of your fingers if we're caught. All right, who are you? Where are you from? Most of us are from the same place you're from, outer space. Many of us had the same history you have. We shipped into Earth and became disillusioned and went to the intergalactic freight office to apply for a job. The man at the office, the man who made the speech about coming in out of the rain, is one of our agents. Aren't you taking a chance telling me all this? Not at all. At the Pluto, you were given a massive dose of P.O.N. You won't remember anything that happened to you after the drug hits you in an hour or so. It works like a shock. Everything will be repressed into the unconscious. Oh, I see. Very neat. It will exist in your unconscious, however. Somewhere, because you're the kind of man you are, because living in space has taught you the blessing of feeling free, you'll be able to draw upon your unconscious knowledge when you need to. And when will that be, Mr. Cocteau? That depends on whether you decide to join us or not. Join you in what? I haven't the faintest idea of what you're trying to do. For all I know, you're a bunch of traitors. You know, I've heard this comes the revolution stuff before. My friend, you're woefully ignorant of our aims, as is to be expected. We anticipate no revolution. We print no leaflets, publish no newspaper, 
and we have no world plan for conquest. The kind of totalitarian mind which subscribes to tight economic systems like the ancient Marxism of the communists is abhorrent to us. We're interested in only one thing, the preservation of the idea of freedom. Our fear is that men will forget what it's like to feel free. Well, how do you expect to accomplish this? Our concepts are being kept alive in only one place in the universe today. Outer space? Exactly. On the frontiers of the universe, where freedom is a condition of life and growth. Suppose I join you. How can I help? You're an experienced pilot. We have enough connections to do some plastic surgery on your face and get you a position piloting a spaceship again. You'll remember nothing of your mission. But you will remember that you have been back to Earth, what it was like. You'll be able, carefully, of course, to tell people, to help keep the idea of freedom alive. Think it over carefully. You have 20 minutes before the drug takes effect. I don't need 20 minutes. I'll do it. Good. In exactly 48 hours, you'll wake up in your hotel bed with a new face, the identity card of a man named Harold Janus. You'll not remember how you got them or why, but you'll know what to do with his identity. He is, or was, master navigator on the Earth-Mars run. Good luck, Mr. Craig. I woke up in the hotel bed, feeling like a man who has hung one on but good. I looked into the mirror and I saw the face of another man. I looked in my wallet and discovered that I was Harold Janus, navigator for Intergalactic, holder of a license for 15 Gs. I wondered where it came from, how I got it, but I asked no questions. This license, this ident card, meant freedom. I walked out of the hotel feeling steady for the first time. I'd gotten my sea legs at last. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features The Venus Trap by Evelyn E. Smith. One thing man never planned to take along into space with him was the eternal triangle, especially a true blue triangle like this one. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Sea Legs, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Frank Patrocchi and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were William Redfield, James Stevens, Stan Early, Charles Penman, James Dukas, Richard Hamilton, Jack Orison, Jack Grimes, Craig McDonald, Ralph Bell, Kermit Murdoch, and Frederica Chandler. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Hear Politics and Primaries, Dateline, Ohio and Indiana, tonight on NBC Radio. That's X-1 with Sea Legs, starring William Redfield, as heard on NBC Radio May 1st, 1956. Redfield's best-known film appearance was as Dale Harding in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another episode of X-1 for you after this break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. It's time now for another sci-fi episode of X-1. In this story, a teenager is surprised to read today's headline in the newspaper. This is the day the world ends. Could it be true? Here's End as a World, starring Peter Fernandez on X-1. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight, End as a World by F.L. Wallace. But first, hear this. When the place is fine and the time is right When the moon is low and the stars are bright You make it Pabst, cause Pabst makes it perfect. Yes, Pabst makes it perfect. Just as we always have ever since 1844. So next time, you make it Pabst because Pabst makes it perfect. America's Blue Ribbon Beer from the Pabst Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Pabst makes it perfect. Now, X minus one and end as a world. I saw it on the doormat in the front porch. The boy had made a lucky throw and the paper was spread out neatly on the doormat facing me as I came out of the screen door. The headline was black across the top. They used the big type, the kind they use for presidential elections or when the town all-star little league team won the national championship. I stood and looked at it through the screen door. 
I hadn't quite rubbed the sleep out of my eyes, so first all I saw was the little boxes of the screen. And then suddenly my eyes snapped into focus and I read it. This is the day the world ends. Just a minute, Ma. Are you leave the newspaper alone. You can read it later. Come on now. The eggs are getting cold. Yeah, but Ma, it's today. Well, what's today? Well, look at the headline. What's the only thing on the front page? Well, look. This is the day the world ends. Oh, that. Well, world's end or no, I won't have you eating cold scrambled eggs. Now you sit right down and eat your breakfast. I brought the newspaper into the breakfast table. I turned to the sports page. The Dodgers were winning or losing, I forget which, and UCLA was strong and was going to beat everybody they met that fall. An H-bomb had been tested in the middle of the Pacific, blowing another island off the map, just as if we had islands to spare. Ordinarily, that would be on the front page, but not today. Now, don't get the newspaper and the egg yolk. Mm, no, Ma. Want some toast? Peter, do you want some toast? All right, Ma. It was Saturday. Big things always seem to happen on Saturdays. I ate breakfast and got up. I had the usual things to do, like mowing the lawn, for instance, but I skipped it that day. There wasn't any use mowing a lawn on a day like that. I went out remembering not to slam the door. It wasn't much, but it showed thoughtfulness. I went past the church and looked at the sign that was set diagonally in the corner so it could read from both streets. There it was in big letters, quoting from the papers, This is the day the world ends. Dr. Davidson scheduled a prayer meeting for the calculated time. It was a bright day. People were out walking or just standing looking at the sky. It was too early to look up. Hey, Pete! Pete, here you are! Catch! Uh, here! Hey! Uh, who showed you how to throw a football hit? Catch this! Yeah. Hey, nice pass! Here you are, lateral. I got it. Here, throw, throw me a long one, huh? I'll run out on that button hook. No, no, look, I, I don't feel like it. Not today. Uh, what do we do? Oh, listen, the new issue of Popular Rocketry came in down at Grover's. Yeah, I, I saw it. Or we could go down and see Howie. All right. Pete! Peter! Hey, your mother wants you. Yeah, what is it, Ma? Now, don't go too far. I've got some things I want you to do. What? I want you to help me move some trash out of the basement and help me move some of the potted plants around in front. Ma, what's the use of doing things like that on a day like today? Never mind. You come back by 11 o'clock, you hear? No. Uh, come on. Howie's probably down at Grover's. Hey, look at this high hurdle. I'll go right over the sign. Here I go. Olympic star Paul Smithfield. <laughs> He went up over the sign easily. Paul's on the track team in high school. I looked at the sign again as he went over the top. This is the day the world ends. They never said more than that, not in the newspapers or in the signs painted on the brick walls. They wanted it to hang in our minds, something we couldn't quite touch, but we knew was there. We walked along down Green Street toward Grover's. Oh, what do you think of it? 
What? You know, today. I don't know. What about you? We got it coming. Yeah, but will we get it? I don't know. Hey, look. It's going to be nice and bright today. Yeah, it is now. Mike clot over. Yeah, it won't matter. It'll split the sky when it comes. Hey, you hear the new song? Hmm? Some disc jockey wrote it. I love you, I love you, love you. Hey, it sounds awful. Oh, listen, listen. I love you, love you, love you, till the day the world ends. I love you, love you, love you, till my heartbreak mends. And a lot more guff like that. <laughs> you know, it seems awful. I mean, making a song on a thing like that, you think it'd have more respect. Well, why shouldn't they cash in on it? How about that contest on TV? What will you do on the day the world ends? In 25 words or less. You know, some people would do anything for a buck. Yeah. You think they'd have some... I don't know, some understanding of how important it is. Well, they do. You should see the souvenir stands on Main Street. You know, pennants saying the end of the world. Stuff like that. Ah, that's disgusting. Grover's has an end of the world Sunday. Joey Tripp had one last night. It was really the end. Yeah, he's a pig. Yeah, sure is. Boy, it was really something with nuts on top. You're listening to End as a World. Tonight's attraction on X-1. Careful planning and sensible driving add up to an enjoyable vacation trip. There are a few tips from the National Safety Council that should help make your trip a pleasure instead of a tense, nerve-wracking time. Before you leave, have the car given a thorough checkup to be sure it will always respond properly to your careful control. Check the emergency equipment you'll need, such as a first aid kit, keys, permits, identification, flashlight, tire changing equipment, and your unexpired driver's license. Plan your trip for frequent rest stops with a good night's sleep each night. And then on your trip, pay attention to the job at hand and don't daydream. Stop off the road to see the sights or read the map. Be prepared for winding and straight roads, level and hilly roads, and changing traffic patterns between urban and rural areas. Obey all speed limits, traffic signs and signals, and keep your distance behind the driver ahead. This vacation is what you've been waiting for all year. Enjoy it with sensible driving. Now, back to X-1 and End as a World. We went on to find Howie. He's a little guy, but he can throw a football further and faster than anybody else on the team. Howie was carrying a model of a rocket ship, carbon dioxide powered. Hey, let's see the model, Howie. Doesn't work. Well, what'll we do? I don't know. We could play Saluji. No, we left the football over at Pete's. Oh, might as well just sit down on the grass. Okay. Hey. Yeah, I wonder if it, it'll really come. Yeah, where will the president watch it from? They should have a good view from the White House. No better than us right here. What about Australia? Will they see it over there? They'll see it all over. Africa, too? And what about the Eskimos? Doesn't matter whether they actually see it or not. It'll come to everyone at the same time. Yeah, how about that? Everybody. Not just in this town, but all over. Wherever there are people and, and even where they're not. You know what I keep thinking about? What? I keep thinking about the man who made the H-bomb. 
I bet he felt silly and spiteful blowing up an island. I mean, somebody might have wanted to live on it if he just left it there, you know? <laughs> yeah, bet he'd feel pretty small with his old H-bomb after today. Pow. My mother's over at the church praying. And what for? She just said that's what she wanted to spend today doing, right up to the last minute. Hey, all the churches are holding prayer meetings. Town board wanted to close up that carnival on Pearl Street. You know, the one with the cooch tent? They said it wasn't dignified for today. They close it up? Mm-mm. The manager said he had his license, and he didn't care if today was the day the world ended or not. He was putting on five shows right up till it happens. Funny idea, those girls dancing, and then, boom, it happens. And nobody to look at them anymore. I can't understand, people. Shows and lawns and... Cleaning the trash out of the cellar on a day like this, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, people get used to doing certain things. Yeah, but today? Even today. That's how people are, I guess. Just got to keep on with what they're doing, even if it doesn't make any sense. Now, we talked about it for a while, but we talked it out long ago. There was really nothing new we could say. Every once in a while, we'd look up at the sky, but it wasn't going to come until it got here. Finally, I went home for lunch. Now, you sit still and eat your lunch. Oh, Ma. It'll happen without your help. It's going to be all right. You think so? I think so. I, um, I'll give you your allowance now. Yeah, but, Ma, it's, it's only Saturday. I... I don't give my allowance. Well, I'll give it to you today anyway. You might as well spend it this afternoon downtown. (laughs) Gee, thanks, Ma. All right, I won't keep you over lunch. You can run uptown and watch it from there. Okay, Ma. You gonna go? Of course I'm not. Why should I get into that mob? I can watch it just as well from here. Ma, sure she could. It wasn't the same. Everybody I knew was going to be there. I changed my shirt before I left. I took a rag and wiped the dust from my shoes. I wasn't trying to be fussy or dressed up or anything. I just thought I should do it. I walked uptown slow because there was lots of time to kill. There was shade and sun on the streets and a few big clouds in the sky. I never knew how slow a day could pass. I suppose I should have slept late in the morning and kept busy doing something. Well, this was worse than putting on a uniform and waiting till game time. At least there was a coach on the field to let you know what to do as you ran through the drill. I ran into Paul at the corner of Cross and Chestnut. Hey, uh, you nervous? No, no. Why should I be? You're not in suspense? If only we had some way of knowing for sure. Radio, maybe. Oh, there's no radio. The calculations have been checked. Yeah, yeah, but maybe there's something we forgot or don't know. A lot of things can go wrong. Hi, right, fellas. Oh, hi, Howie. Howie. You want to go down to Grover's and get them molded? I, I don't know. Oh, we've still got lots of time. We won't miss anything. We all went down and had molded at Grover's. The television was on. They were showing a street in India with people looking up. They flashed all around to Italy, China, and Brazil. Except for their clothes, it wasn't much different from here. They were all looking up. Well, let's get outside. I haven't finished my malted. Uh, what's the difference in a day like today, huh? I want to finish my malted. Oh. 
Outside, I noticed there was a slight overcast. The big billowing clouds had passed, but this was worse. I hoped that it would clear away in time. Not, not that it really mattered. Hey, it's a pretty big crowd for a Saturday, huh? Well, this isn't a usual Saturday. What time is it? I don't know. You got a watch, Paul? No. We can see the clock on the merchant's block from the corner. Come on. Hey, it's Ginny Wexelberg. You see her over there? Hey, how'd you like to spend a day with her? That'll really make it a big day, huh? Oh, you don't need that old Ginny Wexelberg to make this a big day. After today, a blind 15-year-old kid isn't going to seem so important. After today, nothing's going to seem important, huh? Well, there's the clock. We still got plenty of time. We just walked around. A few other kids from school passed by, and we stopped it. It was getting closer. The space between the minutes was getting longer and longer. Hey, I'm hungry. I want to go back and get a candy bar. You're crazy. It's almost time. I got a couple of minutes. Look. Well, you, you just said I'm altered. I don't know. I'm hungry. I mean, I got a right to eat a candy bar before it happens, don't I? How can you think about food? It's only one minute. Well, all right. I just wanted to get one last candy bar, that's all. You think we could see better if we went across the street? It doesn't make any difference. It's going to be all over the world. It was still a minute to go, and I kept wondering if there'd been a miscalculation. Now we were all looking up. All over the world, people were looking up. It, it, it was quiet. You could hear them breathing. I sneaked a look across the street. Jenny Wexelberg was staring up, and she was crying. I kept wondering why a pretty girl like that should be crying. And then, just as I looked back at the sky, it happened. <laughs> It came, the flash across the skies, a silver streak, the biggest vapor trailer ever was. It went from this side to that side in no time. It split the sky and was gone before the shockwave hit us. Nobody said anything. We stood there and shivered and straightened up after the rumbling sound passed. You know what? It's going to go around the whole world. Well, he did it. Yeah. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, he sure did. All the way to Mars and back. Safe and right on schedule. You realize that? He did it. He did it. The first trip to Mars. He's back. He's safe. The factory whistles down by the river started blowing. The bells of the Baptist, the Congregationalists, and the Roman Catholic Church were ringing. We were all jumping up and down, shouting, screaming, laughing as the vapor trail slowly faded into the overcast. I grabbed a hold of somebody next to me, and all of a sudden I realized it was Judy Wexelberg, and she kissed me, and I kissed her back. And we yelled louder than all the factory whistles. We had a right. It was just like the paper said. This was the day the world ended, and the universe began. This is Fred Collins, and I'll be back with a word about X-1 in a moment. Hi, this is Walter O'Keefe. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun, and maybe that's true, but there is something new under the moon, and that's Nightline. 
In Nightline, we think we've found the way to use the intimacy as well as the lightning-fast maneuverability of radio in an hour-and-a-half package of high-voltage, different entertainment. we found the way to make the airwaves your magic carpet to wherever big things are happening, anywhere in the country, for that matter, anywhere in the world. Now, let's say that your favorite comedian is performing at a Las Vegas nightclub. He's packing them in, and you've really got to have connections to get a table. Well, Nightline is that connection, and your radio is your ringside table. More things than you'd believe are happening in the so-called still of the night, and Nightline is your line to exciting entertainment after dark. My feeling is Nightline marks a new era in nighttime entertainment. Tune us in tonight over most of these NBC stations. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features William Morrison's novelette, The Sly Bunger Hop. To Colmer, it was the chance of a lifetime. He could hear opportunity knock. But where in all creation was the door it knocked upon? Galaxy Magazine on your newsstand today. Tonight, X-1 has brought you End as a World, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by F.L. Wallace and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in our cast were Jack Grimes as Pete, Larry Robinson as Paul, Peter Fernandez as Howie, and Alice Yorman as the mother. This is Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Next week on X-1, another exciting story from the pages of Galaxy. The Scapegoat by Richard Maples. If you saw a big teenage young bully beating up a helpless old man on the street, what would you do? Try to stop it? Or save your own neck by just walking away? Well, this is the story of a man who did stop it. Of a newspaper reporter who not only rescued the old man, but took him home, hoping to develop a good angle for the newspaper series he was writing on juvenile delinquency. The scapegoat tells of what happened then of the terrible threat posed by this seemingly harmless old man to the unsuspecting reporter and his family. Be sure to hear it next week on X-1. Wondering what the weather will be like tomorrow night? Will it be cool? Will it be hot? Will it rain or not? Well, don't give it another thought, because NBC's Monitor has a weatherproof evening plan for you with excursions to three world-famous underground scenic spots. You'll go roving with Monitor on a a two-and-a-half-mile trip through Marble Cave in Missouri. You'll listen to the music of a stalactite organ in Luray Caverns, Virginia. And you'll visit the historic catacombs of Rome. Between trips underground, you'll hear another merry report on his vacation tour of Europe by comedian Jonathan Winters. And you'll rub elbows with international celebrities at a unique party in Tutshore's famous restaurant in New York. There'll be music and news, too. In fact, there'll be something for everybody on Monitor. So start your weekend right with Monitor Friday night and stay with Monitor all weekend long. Nightline takes you to wherever exciting, interesting, and entertaining things are happening. Tonight, over most of these same NBC stations.
And that's X-1 with End as a World, from August 1st, 1957, starring Peter Fernandez. Fernandez is best known as the voice of Speed Racer in the 1967 anime TV series. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for Episode 7 of the Classic Radio Theater after this break. Next time on Episode 7 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two episodes from radio's greatest series of high adventure, Escape, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in next time. Thanks for listening.